Is it something that you want out of your life, but you can't get it gone? If it is, then there's a process to get it gone. I help men who've been stuck in addictive behavior, particularly porn and sex addiction, drop it and move on with their life and the fight so they can finally be the husbands, the fathers, the men they always wanted to be. That's Bob Gardner, and this is episode 27 of The Super Dad Show. Welcome, Bob Gardner, to The Super Dad Show. Why, thank you. I'm honored to be here, man. <laughs> Good to hear. Now, Bob, we first connected on Facebook. The reason I invited you to be a guest on the podcast today is because you have a lot of experience dealing with a problem that is common to a lot of men, and you are now a coach in this area. Can you tell us, for starters, how do you best describe what you do for a living? Look, what I do is uh, I, I help men who've been stuck in addictive behaviors, particularly porn and sex addiction, but all kinds of addictive behaviors. Um, for a long time. And I just help them drop it and move on with their life and the fight so that they can finally be the husbands, the fathers, the men they always wanted to be. It's like giving them a second chance at life. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, a, a much needed area uh, for, well, I don't know of anyone else who is actually specializing in that area as a coach. I know that people go to psychologists for that sort of thing, but um it's it's great to have you on the Super Dad Show talking about this uh, this area today. So I guess you know, can we start by learning a little bit more about your addiction? When did it begin, and where did it end? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I was, uh, I mean, I was into a lot of things as a kid, trying to manage. Just my father was in the military, and uh, you know, we moved around a lot, so I was always trying to make friends and fit in. So I was struggling with that a little bit and felt a little bit like a reject. So between shoplifting and all the other kind of stuff I did as a kid, um, around age 14, I uh, started looking into pornographic material. So porn, masturbation, those types of things. At first, it was curiosity. Um, and it, like, but I felt really bad about it because I grew up in a super Christian environment where that, where there that was talked down on quite a bit. So that was around the time that the internet was starting to come out. Um, and I remember AOL. And so I'd gotten online and um, I started looking for things. And after a couple months, my dad found some stuff on the computer. He's pretty tech savvy. And uh, he and I had never really had a good talk about this kind of stuff. So he confronted me about it, but he confronted me in the room with my mom and my uh, sisters. And they started kind of poking fun at it. They didn't really know what they were doing. You know, it was just unconscious. But at that point, I just felt so bad about it that I just started hiding it. And so from then on, it was just this up and down addictive cycle where I would be in it um, as much as I could get away with it whenever mom and dad weren't in the room. Mm. Or I'd go for months or sometimes years, a uh, couple years without it. And then it would just come back and hit hard. And that was off and on for a while. And then after I got married... And the stress of married life and trying to make money and, and put food on the table for my kids. And I was in graduate school at a certain point. And it just got really, really dark, really, really bad. It got to the point where um, sometimes I'd be in it for hours at a time in some computer lab at the graduate school. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I just didn't know how to get out of it. I felt so horrible about it. But it was the only place I could go to to help alleviate the feelings that I was mm. dealing with. And so um, I was kind of casually suicidal at that point. Like I didn't want to end my life, but I didn't want to live my life. 
And it was at that point that I found out that this could actually be termed an addiction because before then I just thought I was broken. Like I couldn't stop doing this thing. And so that sparked a long journey of about five years of me traveling all over the place, trying to find an answer to help me quit. So I went to, um, I visited with a couple counselors. I went to 12 step meetings. Eventually I, I did some, uh, like some in-depth healing training. I went to like personal development seminars and motivational speakers. I read books. I, I tried alternative healing therapies. I certified in a couple of alternative healing therapies. I went to martial arts boot camps to try and just confront my own fear. And I've been doing martial arts my whole life. So it made sense for me. Mm. And I just went everywhere I could meditation retreats, you name it to try and like tackle this beast because everybody was telling me that if you're an addict, it's just there for life. This is one of those things that you'll never be rid of. And that message just hurt me because I was like, no, I don't want to spend my life measuring it by how long I haven't looked at pornography. Um, and even now, if you go to most counselors and therapists, they'll just kind of tell you that the best approach is to just cope with it, develop good coping mechanisms, and then to um, kind of minimize its effect in your life. And that wasn't an answer that I wanted. So mm-hmm. it took me a while and like well over $50,000 in investment and all these kinds of things. And then after, after a certain period of time, I realized nobody really had an answer. And so I started sitting down and in desperation, I started praying. I started looking for insight, really thinking about things. And then I got these ideas that started to click about how to put together all of the pieces that I had learned over the years in such a way that, that it would just finally go away. And so that was six years ago. Um, Six years ago, I stopped looking at porn because my wife almost left. Mm-hmm. Um, we had four kids at the time, or three and a half. Maybe one was in the oven still. And um, she just, she, she almost left. She was like ready to go. And that scared me enough to stop looking, but it still haunted me. Mm-hmm. And so for about a year and a half, I was dealing with this every day. I'm not using, not looking at porn, not doing any of that stuff. But I was still like, she'd leave home. And the computer's in the corner and I'd want to go look at it or I'd see an ad and it would bug me for a while, or I'd have some image in my head from years ago. And I was like, I just want to be done with this. Mm -hmm. And so once the ideas started clicking about a year and a half later, I went through this really intense emotional process. It took about 20 hours And on the other end of it. I had deleted all the images, all the fear was gone. And I felt totally, totally free on the inside. And, uh, I was exhausted but like, I just felt totally different on the inside. And I started walking around and doing things differently. And then two weeks after that, like I was driving home from work at Arizona State University, where I was working at the time. And I had this experience of what I would call a kind of voice run through my just my body. And it just said, Bob, you're not you're not an addict anymore. Don't ever introduce yourself as one again. It was this powerful, overwhelming experience that confirmed what I'd already been feeling. Mm. And so at that point on, I was, I just started talking about freedom because I didn't feel the pull, no desire anymore. It was just gone. And that didn't mean I wasn't a man anymore. Like the, mm. the plumbing still worked mm. <laughs> everything. Mm. We still had a couple more kids. Um, but it was just the desire to go anywhere, but with my wife. Mm. Just, and, um, it was, you know, and so since then, it's just been amazing to feel that 
it's because it's only been increasing since then. This tremendous mm. sense of freedom on the inside where mm. I don't have controlled by my emotions, by my compulsions, by habits and behaviors and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. And look, it sounds like it was a habit before you obviously got married, but how mm-hmm. did it affect your relationship? And more importantly, was it something that was happening because you didn't feel fulfilled? You had a high no. libido and your wife wasn't giving you what you needed and you were filling in the gaps in that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, because it was already a kind of a trained habit before marriage, I don't really know if I had a higher libido than I normally would have. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know how to, to say that one. I do know that I had developed certain expectations about what intimacy was supposed to look like inside of marriage. And a lot of that had been informed by what I'd experienced through masturbation personally or mm. what I had seen on mm. the screen. Yep. And so then when I would go to the marriage bed and I would I was looking for signs that my mm. wife was enjoying things or whatnot mm. and she wasn't behaving like those girls in the videos, um, it would start to frustrate me and mm. it would cause a lot of disconnection emotionally between my wife and I. And she could totally feel that she could feel when I was just totally lusting after her because I wanted to, to a release and she wasn't adverse to it. She just didn't like the feeling of being used, mm. um, used as an object, um, yeah. Yeah. just to satisfy. She wanted a connection, an emotional connection. Mm. And so what happened in our relationship was like, I, I was really irritable and angry and she would see me go through these periods where I would be like totally fine, totally engaged. And then I would just go into this depressive mood where nobody wanted me to like, like I didn't want anybody else around or I'd snap at the kids and be really testy. And so she would start actually trying to like protect the kids from me Mm -hmm. and she would start to, to micromanage things at home because she felt so out of control of my behavior that she was just starting to control anything she could. And in fact, she went on video. There's a 17 minute video that she, that we filmed of her talking about her experience. If anybody's interested, I can give you a link to that. If anybody's interested in just seeing it from the wife's perspective, for sure. Um, but it just, in the end from me, like I, I couldn't connect to her as a human being. Mm. Um, I I loved who she was. I appreciated what she was doing, but I always felt less than. And I was always, when I wasn't inside of the addictive mood, I was often like, she was the leader of the home. And so whatever she said went, even if I resented it. Mm. And I was often like running around in my spare time, just trying to make it up to her. Like, Hey honey, do you need anything? Can I like speed? And I wouldn't even giving myself permission to pursue things of interest to me. Mm -hmm. I felt so bad inside that I was constantly trying to make it up to her and on her end, she just felt betrayed. You know, she just, she was like, look, uh, I don't know what else to do, you know? Mm. So it it was a really, really rough situation. We couldn't talk much. Sometimes the only way we could talk was through email. Uh, cause that was like the only way that I could get it out all the way and that she could get it out all the way. (laughs) It was rough. It was a rough situation for us. Mm. Let me just, um, I guess, talk about my own habit um, or that, that I feel free of finally. Now, I talk on a number of episodes about the line in the concrete. And for me, I had drawn a line in the sand when it came to marijuana because that started in my teenage years the same way that 
you know, porn started for you. Mm-hmm. For me, I couldn't have it in the house. I couldn't have it in front of me. It was how I dealt with stress and pressure and frustration in my own life. And right. it took me finally saying, you know, this this can't happen anymore. You know, it's ruining my relationship. I need to draw that line in the concrete where no matter how much stress uh, comes up in my life, I know that I have a problem with this. I've proven time and time again that I can't moderate my usage when it's around. So I just need to accept this is my addiction. Um, so this is what I need to do moving forward, you know, is, is just abstain completely from it. Is that what you find you've had to do is just completely abstain? And I mean, is, is, is that the way forward for people? Because I know for me, my wife doesn't have a problem with porn. It's not my addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, I find that if I do use it, it is, it is just a, vagina that I can focus on looking at, which helps to get me in the mood to complete my pleasurable act. Um, Mm. And it doesn't take away from my relationship, I feel personally, um, because when I am there with my wife, I'm connecting with her, not just a vagina, you know. Um, but as I said, you know, porn isn't an addiction and I haven't used it to the point that a lot of people do. Um, you know, and I would say that our sex life, I have less desire for my wife if I have masturbated. Um, but it's not what I would call a problem within my marriage. At the same time, though, having three young girls and, and seeing that these images, you know, that's someone's daughter. I do have more and more of a problem as I move into this area of, you know, being a super dad and, and, and my girls getting older and everything. I do have more of a problem with porn than I ever did before. So it's great to be talking with you, you know, to, I guess, have people analyze maybe their own habits, um, you know, and, uh, and, you know, the objectification of women, you know, I guess, yeah, from what I've just shared, you know, what, what are your thoughts? So they're really good. I mean, you had a couple of questions, uh, about it. Right, <laughs> what, what is the way forward? And like the two main questions was like, how, do, how what's the best way to stop if you're dealing with it and you want to stop. And the other one was more like, um, is it, is it best to just abstain completely for everyone? Kind of those are the main questions, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, I think I'll address the second one uh, first. And that one is, is it is it wrong or should you have it at all? And I really can't answer that question for any person. Um, there's a lot of people that want to like corner me and they're like, well, but is porn bad? And I've worked with people in all kinds of situations and I know people where porn has saved their marriage because they couldn't figure out that piece of it on their own. So the guy had to go to pornography in order to be able to satisfy himself enough so that he wasn't coming on like a beast in the bedroom and freaking out his life. Okay. And so like, I don't have a hard and fast answer for it. I can say that from my experience and what I've seen with the hundreds of men that I've, I've talked to work Mm -hmm. with, 
that in every case in those and most, not all of them, but most of them come from really religious households. So there's, mm-hmm. that's your skewed database right there. Mm-hmm. Um, people that haven't grown up with a huge religious um, experience. Some of them don't look at it as an issue. And so they, they're not, it's not really wrecking things for mm-hmm. them. Um, but the vast majority have been religious. And in those households, it has really damaged the relationship because they, they hold this marriage bed as sacred between them and God. And that creates a level of shame and guilt and sense of betrayal and a lot of stuff for the women. Um, so should you have it? Is it bad? Is it wrong? Um, I would say the best way to answer that is to look at how well you connect with your wife with it and without it. Look at what is the relationship you want with your wife and is porn leading you there? Because if it is, then I'd say, well, shoot, go for it. Like, but if it's not leading where you, where you ultimately want with your wife Mm. and a relationship you ultimately want with your family, Mm. then I'd say, well, it's not taking you where you want to go. So the no brainer question would then be what else would take me there and just like supplant it with something different. Um, like I remember being terrified. We have one daughter. I got five boys, one daughter. I remember being terrified that I would turn into the dad that was just like a pervert and would do something to his daughter. And I don't have that desire at all, but I was afraid of it at the time. Sure. And so glad that I didn't have daughters first because I didn't know what that would have turned me into. And so Mm -hmm. those were fears that were eating at me. And for me, I needed to stop. Mm -hmm. Like the line in the sand was my wife said, look, I I think I'm not sure I'm going to stay. She left the room. And uh, I think the only reason she stayed was because she had this weird out-of-body experience. And I don't want to call it weird. I can only call it a kind of grace where that night she just had a moment where she like connected with me in a way that she felt what I was feeling about me. And Mm -hmm. so she was heartbroken for her, but then she had her heart kind of break for me. She talks about that in her her experience. And Mm -hmm. having seen that side of things and felt what I was feeling about me, that gave her enough compassion to stick around Mm. and give me space to be able to heal. And it really saved my life that way. Mm. As far as the best way to stop, um, I, gradually stopping, stopping all one off. I don't really care. Like when I work with people, I, what I've found is pornography is not the issue. Like you were talking about marijuana and how like you were using it to cope with something, right? Mm-hmm. And it was stress or it was overwhelm or it was anxiety or whatever it was. And so what I found is everybody who's dealing with this, pornography is their method of feeling something that their normal life isn't giving them. Mm. So I remember standing on the, it was like 5.30 in the morning. The, there was still a fog coming in off the ocean. I was in Laguna Beach, California at some mastermind conference. I just finished my morning workout. There were rabbits like hopping across the grass. <laughs> and I, I was finished the workout and I was going through some mental stuff that I do uh, pretty much daily to try and get deeper insight into what's going on in myself and what I can do to, to move forward. Mm. And I had this clarion understanding of, oh my gosh, I like porn. Now, growing up in a Christian culture, for me to admit that to myself was like, oh crap, now Zeus is going to strike me down <laughs> with a lightning bolt or something's going to happen. I'm not supposed to like porn. That's not right. But then the next question came, why? And that's when I realized that when I'm looking at it, it wasn't about boobs and butts and vaginas and stuff. It was about like, in those moments, I felt totally free from all the burdens of my life. I felt 
utter focus and I felt totally alive and in control and I could do what I want. And there was my, my body was alive and it was tingling and humming with energy. And when I realized that I was like, well, shoot, that's what I'm going to it for. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a pervert. And so um, the guys that I work with, I was like, okay, so there's something going on in my head that is causing me to, to live life in such a way that it's, that I have to go to the extreme of pornography in order to make myself feel better. Mm-hmm. And those toxic thoughts, and they've measured this, right, scientifically, that even anger for five minutes becomes poison in the body. It poisons the blood. And they've, they've tracked death rates and, and all kinds of stuff just associated with emotions. Mm. So your body wants to live and it's trying to survive the planet, but it's also trying to survive these unconscious thoughts that are running in your head all the time. And when it gets that toxic, your body's like, okay, if you don't do anything, Bob, I'm going to knock you out with this crowbar. We're going to go joyriding for a couple hours across the country. When we're done, <laughs> we'll feel better. You'll feel like crap, but we can handle it. And so sometimes I, it was like watching my body go through the actions, even though I didn't feel like I was in control, wondering mm. why. Mm. It's just because my body was craving a better experience of life. And so what I learned how to do was find what the root issue was. So when I work with the guys, we don't even focus on pornography. I don't focus on the kind of addiction at all. We go straight to what's causing your life to be miserable enough that you have to go there in order to feel better. And when we work as, work on that and just get all that poison out and then teach them the skills to not drink the poison anymore, it's not just that the addiction goes away by itself. Their relationship improves because they're not showing up believing in their head, oh, I'm broken. You can imagine a man showing up in the kitchen when he's like, I'm broken, running like a repeated record in his head. And his wife's like, hey, honey, you forgot to take out the trash this morning. And so immediately in my head, I would go, oh, crap, I'm such a dork. You know, and so I'd start beating myself up because that's how I showed up in the relationship as broken. So I couldn't leave my family because I believed I was, you know, a factory reject. And these guys, they each have their own unique uh, thing that they've somehow internalized from their life. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the way. If you ask me, that's the way to handle addiction. It's not to fight it because as long as you're fighting something, it's in the arena punching back. Mm. So if you so want to look at something, yeah. We look at these 12 step processes out there. The very first thing is accept that you have a problem. So I've got a couple of questions here. First one is, I don't know if I missed it in the conversation. Did your wife know before you talked to her about it, that you had a problem with porn? Um, no, well, she didn't know before we were married uh, a couple years in. I kind of felt bad enough that I told her I kind of had a problem, but I didn't tell her everything about it at all. Okay. And it was about and 2000. she didn't have a real issue with it because she didn't know the extremities of it at that time, yeah? Yeah, and she, she had grown up in a really sheltered household, and so she was like, it's okay, we'll work through it. Like, she didn't know what it entailed. I didn't really know what was the issue. Yep. So she was super supportive, and, the, and that happens a lot with these wives is the first time they're like, often very supportive mm. and like, we'll work through it. But then it started to drag on her over the years. Every now and again, I'd come and feel bad enough that I'd tell her. Yeah. And it was like a whole other roller coaster mm. all over again mm. to the point mm. where she could start to pick it out in my moods and she yep. could tell. And what, what was it in you that kept saying over and over, I have a problem with this. It's time to talk to my wife. What was that point that you got to? Um, it, um, I, th- I, you know, I think a lot of this was, um, a, a lot, well, maybe it's two things. A lot of it was like a, at the time really heavily involved in religion, mm-hmm. you know, 
And so there was a lot of talk about being right with God in my head. So I think that had a huge, um, a huge impact. And a lot of people kind of blame a religion for the amount of shame that it brings onto people. I think rightly so it does. It's not the intention, but it kind of has that as an after effect. So when mm -hmm. I talk to my kids about this, I try to be really careful about not telling them uh, whether it's right or wrong, but having them look at what it's doing in their life mm -hmm. and making decisions from there, you yeah. know, how yeah. they feel. Inside. Mm. But the other thing was like, here was my wife who was this tremendously dedicated, disciplined person. And she was doing all this stuff for the family. And she was suffering me who was up and down in business, trying to make ends meet. I was running three or four jobs. And we were on food stamps at one point in time. We went through bankruptcy at one point in time. And so she had weathered all this. And I just didn't feel even worth the relationship. I felt so bad inside the relationship and all I wanted was to be loved for who I was to be wanted. And yet this was between it. Like it was a secret that I just felt like, yeah, I want to be loved for who I am, but you don't know everything about me. And if you really knew who I really was, maybe you would leave. So I would hide it. But then sometimes I'd want to show it just to hope that she would accept me. Mm -hmm. And That's what I see playing out a lot in these relationships. Yep. So um, let's look at those two different relationships. The one is the partner that has a major problem with it and mm -hmm. um, and maybe the bloke doesn't see such a problem with it, but the wife does. Mm -hmm. um, sure. And then we've got the other relationship where the the wife doesn't have a problem with it at all, but the bloke has a real problem with it. What's mm -hmm. the difference between them and, and how you coach them through that? Yeah. Um, how do I coach them through it? Like the biggest thing is, um, see people are, they freak out whether you want to call it an addiction or a compulsive behavior. It's not in the official textbooks and stuff. Okay. I'm going to say, look, is it something that you want out of your life, but you can't get it gone? If it is, then there's a process to get it gone. No different than like, I don't know why every time I think about public speaking, I wet my pants or something. Like that's a something I would like gone. And if you don't know how to get it gone, then let's, let's address mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. An extreme example. Yeah. Um, so, so the, the relationship where the guy doesn't feel like it's such a big issue, but the wife does, um, the wives will sometimes come to me and they're like, what can I do for my husband? And I'll tell them, look, I, I can't do anything for your husband. It's not your job to fix him. Um, at all. He, but like, if you're not happy in the relationship, then that's something that you're going to have to communicate with. And maybe that means the relationship goes apart. Yep. Um, and maybe it means that you actually come together on some things because he just didn't realize how badly it hurt you. Mm -hmm. And you haven't been able to communicate that. Mm. If the guy wants it gone just because of the wife, then to coach him through it becomes a process of me looking at, what what does he want his wife his relationship with his wife to look like what does he want his life to look like and let's address some of the issues that are holding him back there and so sometimes uh there's been a couple of guys where instead of just handling pornography like some of the bigger issues are that they just get depressed a bunch and they just want to handle that and so we just work with that mm -hmm. um, and oftentimes addictive patterns go away because they find so much enjoyment and love and it's like they're dating all over again um, and reconnection with their wife that like they don't find the need to go that way. On the flip side, if the woman's like okay with it, but the guy feels bad about it, I don't actually run into that as much. 
um, I have run into situations where the woman's kind of okay because it means that she doesn't have to perform in bed. The guy can go handle it himself. Mm-hmm. That's where a guy is like conflicted. Well, I know I don't want this, but like it's actually she's okay with it. And then I don't have to go to her for stuff and make and feel like she's just a robot starfishing it there for me to do my duty. <laughs> and, and I've had guys communicate that to me. Yeah. Like they, mm-hmm. they, they want emotional connection. They want the woman to love them and to want them. Mm-hmm. And because that's not happening in intimacy, they're like, well, but I can get that. I can at least get something out of just masturbating. I don't, I don't want to have sex if it's not going to, if it's not going to be an emotionally bonding experience, I don't want her to just check out and accept and take one yeah. for the team. Yep. yep. I mean, I think I had one guy phrase it in this slightly vulgar way where he says, if my wife could just be a slut for 15 minutes a week, uh, our relationship would be amazing. And that's where there's a communication issue between husband and wife. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff to go down in there with yeah. that guy. When I'm coaching him, mm. I'm asking him, well, what kind of man do you have to be and become for your ma- for your wife to want to do that for you in whatever way that shows up? It may not look like any of the porn videos you've had, but for you to feel like she just wants you, mm. what kind of man do you have to become? Let's, let's go down that rabbit hole a little bit of how to communicate effectively your need and desire for your wife when she doesn't have that same need and desire for you. Yeah. How do you have that conversation of saying, honey, you're not putting out enough. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's been, there's a, there's a couple of ways to do it and that's a direct way of doing it. Um, What I've found is that if, if you can break down a hard conversation with three main things, it like eliminates the argument. It may still be tense, the conversation, but it eliminates the argument and puts you both in a place where you can find a mutually, like a unanimous decision to move forward, mm. a decision to step away. So the, the things are the facts. What are the facts of the situation? You show up to your wife, look, honey, I, I we're having sex. Well, I don't know, once a week or once a month or whatever it is. And I really want to have a sex, have sex more often. I read online that this guy suggested that one way to kind of alleviate that is to just schedule it two times a week or three times a week or whatever it is. And I don't know if that's the solution, but all I know is like, it gets to a point where we've done this and that's what happens. And I feel like you don't want anymore. And now we step into, those are the facts. And now we step into, these are how I feel about it. Mm -hmm. I want more, but I feel like you don't want that. Or I feel like I'm imposing on you and, and that maybe it's a violation of what you're at. And I just feel like you don't want that. And it makes me feel a little unwanted and makes me feel a little bit frustrated. Yeah. I don't actually know how you feel about the situation, honey you might want more and I've been totally clueless Um, or you might want less than we have now. And, Mm. and maybe you're just not enjoying sex. I don't actually know what's going on there. All I know is I want to be intimate with you more often. Mm. And I would like to find a way to do that if possible. And that might mean some behavior changes or anything else, but I'm open to what's there, but I really want this. So three things happen, facts, feelings, and where you want to go. Yep. So if they can clearly outline, these are the facts. This is what has been happening. There's no argument there. Mm-hmm. They can agree or they can be like, no, no, no. We had sex twice that week, last week. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I guess you're right. 
but there's no real argument. There's feelings. Well, she can't argue with the feelings that I have. And nor can I argue with the feelings she has. So I can say, I feel like you're not putting out enough. I feel like we need to, like, there's more that should be happening. I don't know where that feeling came from. Maybe that's something I just learned or picked up in the movies, but I definitely want more of this. Yep. Um, if I can own it as my feelings, that gives her permission to own her feelings. Mm. And now, and, and I always in a conversation, like, I don't even know how you feel about this. I want to know so that we can move forward from here. And then I give a direction. This is where I want to go because then she can say, I don't want to go there because of these things. Or she can say, I'd actually like to go there too, but there's some stuff in the way. Like in my case, we got six kids. <laughs> six kids, I was about to say. <laughs> um, like my wife is like, I really actually would like to have sex more. I didn't know this. She's like, I would like to have sex more often. Yep. But it's just that by the time you're done with work and I've just finished a full day with the kids and I've cleaned up and by nine o'clock I'm exhausted and that's when your engine starts going is around 9.15 <laughs> and 9.30. And so like, I'm just toast and you're like raring to go and you got ideas and you're creative and you're in that space. And so she's like, I, I'm just tired. And so if there's a way that we can arrange it to where like we're actually connecting in the evening earlier mm. rather than later, there's mm. that possibility. Yep. And so like, I was blown away by this. I thought she just didn't want sex as much and stuff. And it turned out she's like, no, I would like it more. It's just that I'm exhausted and I've had a hard day and the kids have been screaming at me in a language that I don't understand <laughs> and uh, all kinds of stuff. And I'm just wasted. And then all of a sudden you want to have sex and I just, I don't have any more energy for it. So, yeah, look, that's, that's a good thing. You know, um, I know that it happens in, in my relationship too, where I once had the conversation of, you know, how often would you like to have sex per week, you know, with my wife. And we actually found that, we were so similar and, um, and yet with kids and everything like that, and you're talking about that nine o'clock and, and, you know, the tiredness of the day and everything like that. I'm very similar to you in my energy levels of that time of night and where my wife is at. Um, how do you find works for your relationship to get your wife over the line and into the mood? And what do you recommend for others? What are, what are the particular strategies that you use in your relationship? Because I know the other week I, um, I massaged my wife's feet. That always seems to get her in the mood. You know, I told her the things I love about her. I truly connected in and gave her appreciation for everything that she had done during the day and everything. And then suddenly she was so much in the mood, you know, to, to really, um, have that connection in the way that I desired because I had given her that connection in the way that she desired. Yeah. Um, I mean, some people talk about love languages and what, what works. I'm sure you've heard about those. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I don't, I mean, they seem to work for a lot of people. For me, I'm a big, big fan of just pay attention to your wife. Like you'll figure it out. <laughs> you don't need a test to figure it out. Like oftentimes she'll tell you, but sometimes she won't. So for me, there's a couple of things that I did because I had to rebuild this relationship from the place of here's my husband who is emotionally going and connecting with random women through video mm. and basically trying to have sex with them, at least in his mind. And then he comes back and he wants to have a relationship with me. Mm -hmm. So we had to rebuild how we talked and we've discussed that. Um, and we had to rebuild... Um, 
kind of how we spent time together for sure. But the intimacy piece that took a little bit. Now you talked about like massaging feet and things like that. Um, what I found was if I maintained physical contact with my wife and build a bigger vocabulary of physical contact with her, that's more consistent. Um, then like intimacy became a natural part of it. So by that, I mean like, well, if we're in the same room and happen to be both sitting down, I'll sit in a, in a way that we can be in contact in some way. Mm. So the same kind of oxytocin release and hormonal kind of bonding that starts to happen is just natural. So maybe her feet are on my lap. Maybe I massage them. Maybe I don't, um, but they're there. Yep. Or maybe we're like, we're back to back or something like that. Um, on occasion, It'll just be like we hold hands in, in public or I'll just she'll put her hand on my arm or I'll put my hand on her arm when we're when we're there. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes there's the sort of suggestive sexual kind of touching that we would do just, you mm-hmm. know, I one by a brush or breast or something like that. Yep. And stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But then there's a lot of like massage or if she's had has a hard time. Then I would use some kind of healing work that I had learned over the over the years. Um, we traded massages each night for a while. And then one thing I found was like her body goes through monthly cycles, like most women. Um, and um, <clears throat> what I found was my attraction levels would match those cycles. And so at a certain time in the month, I would be like, you know what? You need you have your own space. And then other times in the month, I'd be like, come on, baby, I can't get enough of you. <laughs> and uh, she, like it, it was a big turnoff to her. To, to know that for certain periods of time, basically she felt like I was repulsed by her. Okay. And in some ways I was. Mm. And so what I started doing was every night when I go to bed, I would just put my hand on it and maintain physical contact uh, for however long till we fell asleep and rolled around or whatnot, or it got super hot and we just needed space or something. Yep. And just that over a period of a very short amount of time changed things to where like, I wasn't having that constant, like I'm attracted, I'm not attracted thing going on. Mm -hmm. And so we started to blend together a lot more naturally Mm. that way. So for me, I think the biggest thing for us has been maintaining as much physical contact as possible that isn't sexual in nature Mm. so that at any point in time, it can, it can proceed forward if I want to, if we want it to, Mm. but otherwise we're still connected and her having the security of knowing, you know what, he's still here even if I don't want sex mm. was was huge for her. Yep. Um, as far as what, what I recommend for other people, that's something that you're going to have to test out. Mm. Um, but the one thing I will say is um, don't just do nice things for her when you're in the mood. Um, like you massaged your feet and you did those things. If you're If you're consistent with actions like that, like if I'm consistently washing the dishes, somehow that's a turn on. If I wash the dishes once and expect a reward, that's a turn off. <laughs> um, Agreed. Yep. So, so like I would say, I would definitely say find things that you can just integrate that are important to her that would alleviate some of her burden. Yep. And just without asking, go help with that. They don't even have to be huge things. If she mm-hmm. sees consistently that you actually care about her burdens, that'll do a ton. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, there is one other thing I have my guys do, um, if you'd like to hear, that's actually pretty su- successful. Yeah, please. Um, I have them write a note to their wife every day. Just a couple of sentences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just something that they love, honor, and appreciate about their wife. 
Um, it's specific. It's not vague. And I have them do it for two reasons. Um, the first reason is, well, it, the wife is now getting consistent daily hits from her husband that indicate she notices it. So my wife would like not even read it in the morning. She'd read it after the morning chores or something. And like 1030 in the morning, have a little, Hey, Jasmine, yesterday, when you, when you said that hilarious thing, I just wanted you to know that even though you don't think I think you're funny, you're hilarious way to go. Another <laughs> time. Yeah. Hey, Jasmine. Um, I, I haven't told you enough how much I admire your capacity to just get up in the morning and take care of yourself so that you're in a good space for the kids. I know you lose sleep over it, but I, it's just something I admire about you. Next day, hey, Jasmine, um, remember that time a few years ago when you squirted root beer at your nose uh, and it looked like it hurt a lot? I just was thinking back on that time and so, so glad we're able to laugh like that. Um, I really love having you in my life. Next day, hey, Jasmine, you know, I know yesterday was a rough day. I just wanted to let you know I'm here for you. And yeah, you can throw in the occasional, by the way, you're hot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. What yeah. this does is they're getting a consistent thing and they may not be interested in this. They may hate it at first. They may be like, just because you're writing me notes doesn't mean anything has changed. That happens. But what it does for the guy is he's learning to emotionally connect to his wife, even when she's not in the mood, mm -hmm. even when she's not in the room. And he's developing this connection. Now with addiction, what I found is um, a lot of people talk about attachment theory and that humans are social animals and that they need physical connection in order to be able to be healthy and, and sound as individuals. They need socialization and stuff. But what I found is like there's people that go their whole life without interaction with other humans and for years at a time, and they're totally fine. And so what I realized is the only reason they need external connection is because they haven't figured out how to develop it and create it on the inside. So when I'm having them write these notes, I'm saying, like, get into it. Really think in your mind about this person and connect to them. Hmm. So now you're invested in the relationship and you put that kind of energy in the relationship just by writing the note. And even if they're not there, not in the room, don't care about it. You're still like finding connection and fulfillment inside yourself because there are people in your life that you care about. Hmm. Yep. Let's talk about um, in hindsight. You said that there were a number of times in your relationship where you felt the need to tell your wife that you had a problem with pornography. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that conversation about your needs and desires for sex, um, you know, that, that you, that you spoke about just there tapping on the end of that, I feel like I'm using porn too much at the moment to meet these needs um, you know, I believe I have a problem with this. How do you feel about that? And, and what can we do about that as a couple? Is that the way to, to start the conversation? Because as you said, your wife really didn't know that you had a problem with it. It took you a number of times talking to her about it before, you know, you finally got somewhere. And then it seemed like the breakdown of your relationship. How can someone first communicate effectively about their addiction to their partner? to get over it? Yeah. And that's a really good question, uh, to be honest. Um, because what I've seen is there's a lot of counselors who recommend this and they recommend full disclosure. Mm -hmm. Let the guy just dump it all on the wife so that she knows everything. Right. And what I've seen is a lot of women are massively damaged by that amount of information. Mm. 
and they 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 end up holding it over the the husband's head for a long time or forever. They can't. So they, they feel immediately super betrayed because this has been going on behind their back all this time. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. The longer it's been going on, the 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 bigger it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's kind of like vomiting on another person. Like I don't know how you are with. I got kind of a weak stomach, so if someone vomited on me, like my first reaction is to and a weak bladder on stage. I hear. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't have that, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but my first reaction is to is to is the yak. You know, is to just vomit back, and mm. because that's what it is, and it's similar in this space. Here you are in this relationship, and then the man feels so much like he wants to get this off his chest. And so he goes to his wife because he realizes it's hurting the relationship, and he gets it all off his chest. Maybe not all of it, but a lot of it. Sure. And immediately the woman has to cope with this, but she wasn't expecting it. It blindsides her, and some of it she didn't even want to hear. Mm -hmm. And so what I often... What I often talk to the uh, what I often talk to the to the man about is like you have to be willing to tell her everything, but she has to have the brake pedal. Mm. And and when you can go to the conversation that way and like, look, I'm happy to tell you whatever is there, whatever it is yep. that you want to know, any mm. questions you got, that's great. Mm. Then there's things that she won't think to ask, ask things that she won't want to know. Yep. She just needs to know enough for her own healing process. Mm. But hang on, let's let's just take it, you know, right back. Is there a way to set up the conversation to frame it for starters that you've found is most effective? Because before you dump all this stuff and, and give her that brake pedal, is it is it you're lying in the bath together where you can connect? Is it you know, in a, in a nice place in nature? Is it, you know, the, 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 the kids are off to the grandparents' place and you've got that time alone where you would normally, you know, truly connect over a, a pizza and a movie and that's when you take the time to actually have this conversation? Yeah, um, I think this is not a conversation that there's ever a good time to have it. Like, there's not like an ideal it's place. Be a better time, though. <laughs> um, but what I have found is, she's got to be not worried about other things. Mm-hmm. So like, okay, the kid's got to be to bed. All the logistics need to be handled. If she's in the middle of stuff and you're like feeling, Oh my gosh, I just got to don't spring it on her like a jungle cat, mm-hmm. you know, cause it'll be too much and she yeah. won't know how to process it. And her reaction will be different. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've done in the past is I've said, Hey, look, honey, there's something I really want to talk to you about. It's been bothering me on the inside. It's not about you, but this is something I've been, dealing with on the inside for a long time. Mm. And I feel like it's affecting our relationship a little bit just because of how it's affecting me. Mm. And I want to talk to you about it. And, but I want to talk to you about it when you're not busy and when there's like kids and chores and stuff going on. So is there a time that we could sit down and just, you could listen to what's going on with me and, and we could see what what we can do to maybe help, help with this. Mm. If you can set it up kind of that way, to where she knows, okay, it's kind of a big thing. She knows it's about you mm. and what's going on. She knows it's affecting your relationship in some way because it's affecting you. Mm. Mm. And also that you want her to be in a good headspace so yep. that you can really resolve it together. Mm. Mm-hmm. That kind of advanced warning I've found is, is super helpful. Yeah. Um, and then usually it's at night when the kids are at bed, in bed or mm. when you're deliberately giving them the babysitters and gone to yep. go. Yep. All right. So what's your, what's your script? 
What's your script? You're in this conversation, you're in front of her. What on earth are you going to say? Yeah. Um, okay, honey. Uh, after the chit chat and all this stuff dies down, here's the script. And I, I haven't written this down. It's different for each guy because the, the particulars are different. But in general, I've been dealing with this for a long time. I've had I've a porn addiction. Um, and it's it's been however many years. And this is how I've, it's been off and on for a while. And for me, it was before we even started our marriage. Mm. Uh, other guys, it starts with marriage. But most of them, it starts when they're teenagers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've just, it's made me feel horrible on the inside. And, and I want to connect you in marriage and I want to do all these other things with the kids and I want to be there. But all I know is off and on this thing grabs me and I can't get away from it. Like I can't figure out how to stop. It's not just like a recreational thing. I'm stuck. Mm. And even though I want to stop and I want to connect to you and have a deeper relationship, like I'm stuck in it and it just makes me feel horrible. And I don't know how to move forward. I would certainly like your help. Um, if there's help, if there's help needed or support, or, um, I just want to move past this Mm. and I'd like to hear where you're at. And I want, I want to be totally honest with you so that you know what you need to know so that together we can heal from this. Yep. Um, and she says, Oh my gosh, I feel so betrayed. Get out of the house. What do you do? I feel so betrayed to get out of the house. Okay, that's fine. Um, I, I understand that. Like, I I kind of figured that was coming. Um, see, because earlier, like, I my wife one time, she's like, I was like, so what do you want to do? And she says, I want to punch you in the face. And I said, okay, go ahead. Like, I wanted her to hit me in the face. Mm-hmm. I wanted her to punish me for it, right? I wanted to feel like there was some retribution for all this stuff. Mm-hmm. He was like, nope. I'm not going to do that because then you'll think you paid for it. And then we won't have solved this smart woman. Right. Um, and so, yeah, maybe I want you out of the house. I feel desperate. I need time. That's okay. Whatever you need. I want to make sure that you give the time. How much, like, do you want me out of the house? Um, how, how much time do you need? And then at that point in time, if it's really that volatile, like she just needs time, mm-hmm. I'll tell it like, look, um, it's Okay if you just want to email me, like if you can't get it out of your mouth and it hurts too bad and you need some time to collect your thoughts, I'm totally okay with that. This is a big thing. Mm. So if you want to email me and get the conversation going that way, I'm open to, and I just want to let you know I'm here and I recognize that this is something that's been troublesome for, for me and it's Mm. been affecting us Mm. without you even knowing really. Yeah. And I, and I want to make it better. Have you experienced that the best outcomes seem to be achieved when that man can give her that time? And, you know, I can imagine um, some men getting extremely needy, like now's enough time, now's enough time, talk to me, you know, I want to have this conversation again. And they don't get that time to process it, the partner. Have you found that there's a better outcome when they do just step away and go, all right, look, I'm going to, I'm going to go and sleep at my parents' place or my mate's place. Um, you know, you call me when you need help with the kids. We're not going to talk about this any further until you're ready. Is that the best way to cope with that strategy, with that situation? Um, I think it's always good to give a person enough time that they need. Some people will need more time, some less. 
um, for me off the cuff, put a, put a, put just an idea in front of me and I can run. Mm. But my wife often has an idea, but can't figure out how to express it in words. It takes her a while to process putting in words mm-hmm. early on in our marriage. That's why I went to email. Cause I wanted to give her the time to respond. And I would just yep. let her know, Hey, I sent you an email about it. Mm. And then she would have hours or she could respond when, when it was a good spot for her yeah. and she could really process it. And she could be honest because she wasn't afraid of my reaction. Mm. Um, well, wasn't afraid of me getting hurt in my feelings. She could just yep. sit there on the email and be like, honestly, I really hate your guts right now. And mm. there's all this stuff because mm. mm. she couldn't bring herself to say that in person. Some women can. Mm. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it's just however much time they need. Yeah. All right. So Bob, there's a woman a wife listening to this podcast mm-hmm. and she's like, Oh my God, you know, my husband has just told me about this porn addiction that has been going on for years. I have reacted by kicking him out of the house. I don't know if I can ever trust him and forgive him. What are you going to say to that woman to help her to understand that this is a problem that her husband has come to because he wants to move forward. He wants to be the dad and the husband that she needs what, what are you going to say to her? First, I would say, look, your reaction is totally fine. There's nothing wrong about your reaction. It was what it was. We can't change it. The really, the only question is, what do you want from here? You might not know if you want your husband back after this. It might be that painful. Or you might want him back, but you just don't want that in the house. And you don't, you wish your marriage had never gone there. And that's something mm-hmm. that you can't change. So to build back trust is probably going to take a little bit of time. My wife, I remember three years after I was totally done with it, she still had a random day where she was just like ticked at me. And it happened because I had felt free on the inside, but she wasn't feeling that. So on the outside, she was just waiting for the other shoe to drop for a long time. Was she wondering whether you were still doing it and keeping it a secret? Um, No, actually. Well, I don't know. I haven't actually asked her that question. I know that she was just wondering if it would last was the bigger question. Mm-hmm. Like, okay well we've gone three months before is it gonna last and maybe i would do a behavior that would be similar to yep. when i was in addiction and so then she'd get this moment of like ah mm-hmm. um but i haven't ever asked her if she was like wondering yeah. if i've gone back my wife my wife knows the warning signs in me when she can see that i'm highly strung and losing my cool a bit too much at the kids and i think she knows that in the past that's when I have gone back to an addiction. Yeah. So um, so she, she's learned to recognize that and she'll talk to me about that. That's obviously a great conversation to have as well. Honey, you know, if you see me getting too stressed, I want you to talk to me about that. And yeah. that's yeah. T- no, I think you're right. I think you're dead on. Um, the women, even if they don't have even if they don't know what it is, they can tell there's something with you. Like, just like you can tell when your wife's ticked off, she walks in the room and it oozes from her and you're just like, Oh, I got to go somewhere else. Right. It happens. She has her days. Um, you don't have to be in physical contact. You don't even have to see them. You can just feel it from them. And likewise, they and your kids can feel it from you. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times, you know, the healing that happens is just that when the man transforms, mm-hmm. suddenly the kids look and go, holy cow. Okay. Now it's possible to be an adult and be happy. Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> now it's possible to have a marriage that's connected because they feel the tension. 
It's not no. that you're teaching them anything. It's just mm-hmm. that be by you living it, mm-hmm. it shifts. So for the woman whose husband has done that, mm-hmm. one thing, one thing I would say is there's healing that you've got to do on your own yep. because whatever he did touched something in you, a deep fear or a worry. Maybe it's something you saw in your parents or friends, parents or something play out earlier on. And it caused a massive reaction in you. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a place that if you can go and heal from that, it doesn't mean you have to just tolerate it if your husband's unwilling to budge, but it does mean that you don't have to be a victim of his behavior dependent upon him behaving a certain way for you to feel happy in your life. Hmm. Now you made a post the other day talking about your son and how he was in front of the computer and you asked him the question, if some porn comes up on the screen, what are you going to do? And uh, is, is, is that, did I get that right? That's pretty much the yeah. question that you asked. Yeah. We'd had a couple of conversations over the last couple of years about pornography and sex and whatnot. I'm pretty open with them about where I've been, what's been going on. And so this was just one of those conversations where I was just asking, like, do you know what to do if it comes up? And, um, and so like his, it was a beautiful conversation because I know, okay, he's at least got the foundation Mm. to know that like it doesn't have to control him. Mm. In life. And so I, he just said, well, yeah, I just shut off the screen. Now, that's what I'd been taught as a kid. It didn't always work. I would linger on the screen. <laughs> um, but that's what I've been taught as a kid. But then I would have images in my mind that were leftovers. And everybody told me that I would always remember these images like that, like, well, once you've seen it, it's stuck in your head forever. And this isn't just with pornography. It's like post-traumatic stress and, and combat veterans. Mm-hmm. They have some memories that they can't uh, deal with. People have been molested and abused as kids. We're talking like kids with nightmares or scary movies that freak them out. Like there's all kinds of content there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what I figured out was a way to just delete it so that it's not there anymore in your experience. And so I taught that to my son one day when he was, he had come home from a friend's house and they had been playing video games and he couldn't sleep. Like the, whatever the video game was, was like freaking him out and making him feel anxious. Mm. And so I taught him how to do this with the video game. And so when I asked him, like, do you know what to do about the image? If it's still there, he just said, yeah, I delete it. Um, just like you told me, I was like, cool. All right. If you delete it and you still feel kind of negative feelings, do you know what to do about that? Like that was the next step in the conversation. Mm. I don't want my kids just wandering around feeling ashamed or guilty about stuff. Uh, if you did something wrong, great. Feeling guilty doesn't fix it. So let's handle the guilt and then go like address the situation. Yep. Um, and so, <clears throat> um, so he says, yeah, yeah. I just do the emotional ninjutsu stuff that you taught me. Um, which is just a process I learned from heavy combative training with some ex Russian spies in the backwoods of Canada. Um, just with some ex-Russian spies. <laughs> right? Um, and I'm actually going back to train with them in a couple of weeks. Um, Very cool. But it's, it, was, it was like how you handle your emotion in highly in, intense and stressful situations. Mm-hmm. Someone pulls a knife on you and he's coming at you. You can't just sit there and be like, oh, I'm feeling sad and coddle yourself. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to clean yourself of the emotion so that you're alert and can function. Mm-hmm well and so some of the things they taught me combined with some of the other healing work i did i just put together in a neat little package i call emotional ninjutsu because it's fun and i liked the ninja turtles as a kid (laughs) 
Um, and so, um, so I taught them that. And it's just a process of like being aware of what the emotion is, but then where it's touching you in your body. Because mm-hmm. as soon as you can localize it, now you actually can do something about it and you can tell when it's gone. Mm-hmm. So like, all right, so if I'm feeling anxious right now, where are you feeling that? Like, is it in your butt? No, like, oh, no, it's not in my butt. Okay, is it in your heel? Where is where is it? Okay, and they'll usually point to somewhere in the chest or maybe in the gut sometimes, but usually somewhere above the chest and head and neck and shoulders. That's where most people carry all their emotions. Mm-hmm. So then I'm like, okay, great. How long do you want to stay that way? Well, I don't want to stay that way that long, Dad. Great, awesome. So let's address it. And so we just do simple breathing and movement and stuff to kind of loosen up the area and they put their focus back on their body and they can pay attention to, did the feeling leave my body? And if it's not gone, then I continue to work with it till it's gone. Mm-hmm. But I can tell because now it's no longer just a nebulous emotion that's like attacking me. Mm-hmm. It's just like, no, no, it's localized here. I can tell when it's there and I can work with that. Yep. And so I asked him, I was like, do you know what to do with that? He's like, yeah, do the emotional ninjutsu thing. And so I was like, sweet. All right, carry on. Do your, do your internet homework, whatever it is. Now, look, I think we've covered so much amazing stuff today. If we're going to wrap up here, what is the final message that you'd like to share with our listeners today who may be listening to this? They have realized that it's time to deal with this habit. Uh, maybe they have already had to deal with this habit and it is still affecting their relationship. You know, what's, what's your, what's your final message to these guys? Um, final message is you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. Uh, all that's going on is, um, you've got some thoughts in your head that you've been unconscious on of that have been running your life for a little while Mm. and they're creating behaviors in you. And if you can just figure out what those are and handle them, the behaviors will shift and you will have the power to shape your life. However you want. I know it's hard right now. And I know you're staring down some emotional pain and possible consequences in your relationship and with your kids. Um, but I guarantee you, if you can just learn to drop the little thing that's going on in your head, mm. you can transform. And when you do that, that is the best gift you can give yourself, your wife and your kids, mm. because they see hope that something can actually shift. There's mm. hope for a better future. Um, and, and it's totally possible. Now, if you, if you want help doing that, obviously reach out to someone like me or a coach or, or something like that. If you want to do it on your own, that's fine. Like do use what you can learn, right? Do, do what you want to do. I mean, I'm trying to put together ways to help people with that. But the biggest thing I want you to take away from this is if you go to some of these 12 step programs and other places, they'll tell you you're an addict. They'll tell you you'll be an addict forever. They'll tell you that you're powerless and they'll tell you that you're flawed. And my biggest message to people is, one, you're a human being, not an addict. Two, you can change anytime you want. Three, you have all the power in the world you need. You just haven't figured out how to use it yet. And four, there's nothing wrong with you. What a fantastic final message. I love it. I love it. And how can people get in touch with you? Tell us quickly about your program and the website to go to. Okay, so... um, my website is liberateaman.com and that's where they can go schedule a talk with me. If, and really that, those talk is a totally free talk. Um, that's where I'm just there to try and figure out what your unique situation is and give you the best advice I can give you. 
it, it's not always a good fit for me to work with you because of either your financial situation, you're not in a spot where you can hire a coach to be in your life every day for a few weeks, you know, eight, eight weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and so I might point you in a, in a different direction. I'm certainly creating w- certain processes in the next week, a uh, couple weeks and upcoming month um, to, to use the tools like the delete button and emotional and jitsu to train people in that at a much mm-hmm. cheaper rate. Um, and so you can contact me about that if you want, mm-hmm. but the website's liberateaman.com. My program is where I take you in our first call. We figure out what the root issue is because otherwise there's no point in doing any more work. We just figure out where the fire is. So we stop throwing water at smoke. Yep. And then from there we, we develop a game plan that's personalized and unique to each person. And we take them through each of the steps that they need to dump their past and to develop the capacity to uh, never go back there mm-hmm. uh, permanently. And a lot of them are just powerful life skills that I just was never taught. Um, and there are things that I try to make sure that every dad that goes through this understands them well enough to be able to coach his kids. So his kids never have to go to a coach either um, for this kind of stuff. Obviously coaches are very yeah. useful <laughs> if you, if you need help, but mm. if the dad can become the coach, um, that's such a powerful bonding thing for the family. Sure is. Sure and so it usually takes about eight weeks um, for a guy on average, but basically I'm just with him till he's done. However long it takes. If it takes three months, it's fine. If it takes four weeks and we set a land speed record, great. Um, I'm just with him till he's done and to give him the kind of support he needs to make sure that that happens. Perfect. Bob Gardner, thank you so much for joining us on the Superdad Show today. It's been great. It was such an honor to be to be with you guys and to talk about a topic like this, which is it's it's a bigger problem than it needs to be. Agreed, agreed. And I hope our listeners have got something amazing out of today, and they will get in touch with you for more support. Whether you're a dad or not, if you listen to the show and you love what you heard, please go to www.patreon.com slash superdads online and sign up as a patron for just $5. In exchange, I will send you a coupon code to use in our superfamiliesonline.com merchandise store and you can get $5 off your first purchase and order a super dad, mum, kid or teen t-shirt and other merchandise. Hear me on the next episode of the Super Dad Show. Thanks for listening.